God bless you. Let's all stand together as we go to the Lord in prayer here this morning. And uh, let's ask the Lord to bless his word to our hearts and to our lives. Amen. God bless all of you for being here. Jesus, we thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your blessings. We thank you, Lord, you're so good to your people in so many ways. We ask you, Lord, to touch our hearts and lives today as we look into the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to do so. We glorify your wonderful name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Turn to your neighbor next to you, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them they look nice. Tell them you're glad they're here. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to pick up where I left off last week, and uh, that was about uh, this wicked king of Babylon, the, the youngest one, uh, that uh, was uh, Belshazzar, that was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, I'm going to uh, just pick up where we left off here, where he had the... Uh, big banquet and he brought the vessels of the Lord out of his temple that had been taken from Jerusalem by his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, and put in their temple there, the temple of Bel, B-E-L, and uh, he just got all high-minded and got arrogant and proud and lifted up and had a big banquet and party and got drunk and everything else, and uh, he called for those golden vessels and those silver vessels to be brought from the temple that he was going to desecrate by drinking out of them, which was not for him to ever do. Only for the priests of God in Jerusalem, in the temple there, was that permitted to be done. And so uh, in doing that, whenever he was at his peak of trying to blaspheme the Lord in doing that, uh, he saw a handwriting on the wall. You uh, know the story, and I taught on it last week. And they finally called Daniel in. Daniel was 84 years old at this time. And Daniel interpreted the writing on the wall. And then it said, mean, mean, tickle you, Farson. And then Daniel interpreted that for him and said, it means that you uh, have been found, you have, your kingdom is taken from you. You've been found wanting. Your kingdom has been taken from you. And uh, it's all over with for you. And so uh, thy kingdom is uh, divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Now, we know that the Medes and Persians were supposed to be, or were, and not supposed to be, but it happened, that they were to be the next empire that would supersede the Babylonian empire because God had already showed that to Daniel in the second chapter of the book of Daniel. And uh, in the seventh chapter, uh, it was also revealed in the eighth chapter as well. So the Media Persian Empire came in. So I want to pick up here in Daniel chapter 5. This is the end of that chapter that we looked at last week. I want you to look at it very closely here with us. And it says, in that night, this is verse 30 now, this is 530, and I'm picking up where we left off last week. In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. The very night that he desecrated those vessels, uh, those Medes and Persians came into the city secretly. They stopped the flow of the Euphrates River that came under the walls and uh, their armies came in under those walls into the city and conquered the city and captured whoever they wanted to capture and they took, certainly took Belshazzar and then they killed him. Now verse 31 says, And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. He was 62 years old 
at this point. This was Darius now, the king of the Media Persian Empire, but he was a Mede himself. There were two nations together that joined together that became a strong empire. And uh, he was the Mede, uh, M-E-D-E, the Mede side of the Persian, Mede, Media Persian Empire. He was of the Medes. And uh, he was the beginning of it, and they were the stronger, but then later the Persians became stronger of the two nations that were together, and that was prophesied. If uh, you go to the chapter uh, in Daniel there, chapter 8 for just a moment, let me show you this. This is when the Lord had showed or would show Daniel or had showed Daniel. Actually, chapter 8 happened before uh, this uh, chapter in chapter 5. But at the, in, in chapter 8 in verse 3, uh, the Lord showed Daniel that then I lifted up mine eyes and I saw and behold there stood before a river a ram which had two horns and the two horns were high but one was higher than the other and the higher came up last. Now later on he would identify this ram to be the media Persian empire and that would be over in verse 20 of that same 8th chapter of Daniel, Daniel 8. 20 it says and the ram which thou saw is having two horns are the kings of media and persia and this was revealed to daniel while belshazzar was still uh, king of the babylons and so i'm just sort of tying up some loose ends here to show you this so in verse 3 here 8 3 i want you to notice here what it said about it. he saw a ram which had two horns that's the media persians together and the two horns were high but one was higher than the other and the hire came up last. So in history, we see that the, the Medes were the first ones to come up, and then the Persians came up stronger and greater. And so it actually fulfilled that particular eighth verse there in chapter, uh, third verse, rather, chapter eight of the book of Daniel. Now, I want to go back to uh, chapter six here, and I want to talk to you about this Darius because Darius was the Mede, he came in, uh, he was the one that was heading up the media Persian Empire that conquered Babylon. He took over, but he only ruled for one year. He was in power just one year, he died. And uh, this Darius, whenever he came in by reputation or by discovery or just word of mouth from others, whatever, he took a real liking to Daniel. Now remember, Daniel is up in years. And, uh, and Daniel was known to be a man of great wisdom. He was a man of, that was of great integrity. Uh, many qualities, many descriptions are given of Daniel. Uh, that this man was a man who just, even kings honored and respected Daniel. So when this Darius came into power, he locked on to Daniel and said, I'm going to use Daniel to assist me in my empire just like the Babylonians did, just like Nebuchadnezzar did, just like Belshazzar and, and the others that were kings in between them. And so he did that. Look at verse chapter 6 and verse 1. Now I'm going to read down through a couple of verses to show you this. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Now he's over now all the Babylonians and all the Medes and Persian Empire. He's over that now. And over these, that is these 120 princes, over these three presidents. So he put three presidents over these princes. These princes were to uh, take care of certain areas, and then the presidents was to oversee them. 
And uh, <clears throat> so he put three presidents over them, of whom Daniel was the first. Notice here, he puts Daniel right, right in there in the very top of his uh, hierarchy system that the princes may give accounts unto him and the king should not uh, have, the, the king should have no, uh, no damage. That is, nobody could accuse him of having made wrong decisions because the others did it for him. So in verse Daniel 3 here, it says, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. Everybody see that? An excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So Daniel was in very much favor of Darius, even at the beginning of this reign and in the first year of his, the first year of his reign, the only year that he reigned over all of this. This is Darius I'm talking about. And so he, he, he was mindful to put Daniel in it because Daniel had an excellent spirit. Now, folks, let me just say this. If you were to see or know the spirit of Jackson Ellis Myers, the guy you're looking at, it'd be a, he, he's just no good. But the spirit of God in us is what makes us to be the person we are. That's why Paul said, in my flesh there is no good thing. But the spirit of God that was in Saul, or, and then changed to Paul, when the spirit of God that was in the apostle Paul was a beautiful and excellent spirit. It's the spirit of God does wonders for us. I mean, we could be cantankerous, we could be ornery, we could be mean-spirited, we could be full of the devil, we could be, we, you can, list can go on and we could just pure old rascals. But the Holy Ghost, we call it the ghost, the word means spirit, the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost in us, if we have that spirit in us, and we should have it, if we don't have it, it's, it's free. It's for whoever, whoever wants it, amen. It's for the asking. We can have the Holy Ghost in us, and that spirit will give us a wonderful and good spirit. And the closer we are to God, and the more we pray and talk to the Lord, the greater his spirit dominates our spirit. See, we are body, soul, and spirit, so we have a spirit. But if we let God's spirit dominate our lives, then that Holy Spirit will make us the beautiful person that Jesus really wants us to be and to be more like him because his spirit was a perfect spirit. It was the spirit of God in him. Praise the Lord. And so they saw this good spirit, this excellent spirit as is referred to in verse 3 of Daniel and he had this, well, uh, it goes on to say here in verse 4, then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. In other words, they, they saw this thing building like it was, and they didn't like the way it looked. Uh, but they could not find a, none occasion for, nor fault, for as much he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Daniel was just such a, a faithful man to his duties, to his work, to his king, to his king, to everything, everything he did until they said, we, don't, we can't find no fault with him. Look at verse five, this is interesting. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We gotta somehow to work this thing where that we can find an occasion against Daniel. You know what they did? They, made a, they got together and they made up a decree 
that nobody could request anything of God or man except the king for six months. That's all, just six months. And if the king would sign that, they said to themselves, if we can get the king to sign this, then nobody can request anything of man or God except they ask the king himself. And uh, it was sort of an ego thing for the king, and it'd only be for six months, and, and you know, no harm can be done. But what they knew was that Daniel prayed often. They knew that. And so here's what they did. They said, we're going to do that. They went to the king. The king said, yeah, I don't see no problem with that. And they also knew that any law that was done passed by the media Persian, uh, under the India, media Persian laws, they could not be rescinded. So it had to go through. It had to be effective. And uh, so, so they said, okay, we got it now. So then verse 10. Now look what happens whenever this law was put in place. Everybody went crawling to their corners. No, no, look what happened, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He knelt upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Daniel says, I'm not changing anything. I love God. I've been praising God. I don't care what kind of laws they pass. I'm going to keep on worshiping the Lord. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something here today. Our worship is the most powerful thing in the world. It is. God, God wants our worship. You know why? Because he is due our worship. He's not on an ego trip. God's not on an ego trip. He, he deserves all the worship. You know why? Because he made all things. He made us. He gave us life. He gave us breath. He gave us his existence. You know, he, he gave bugs their existence, but bugs don't know who he is. The cows don't know who he is. The birds and the bees don't know who he is out there. But we're people. We know who he is. And we need to give God praise and worship. Don't come to the house of God and just sit back like you don't owe God anything. Praise the Lord. The fact that you're breathing air. I'm talking about myself, too. In fact, we're breathing air, and our heart is beating, and we're here. Amen. And you got up this morning in your right mind, as one brother said, and you came to church, praise the Lord, or you didn't go to church, whatever. We owe God praise and worship. And when you come to the house of God, you come to the house of the Lord where there is a collective feeling of that and the ability to worship and glorified God is enhanced by all of us doing it together. And the Lord wants us to do that. He is due all of our praise and all of our worship. And so Daniel says, I don't care what kind of laws are passed. I've been doing this all my life. I'm an old man now. Maybe he thought of it like that. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to worship God. Praise the Lord. Babylon and empire fell just like God showed him it would fall. And he said, God's in control of everything. And he didn't pray just once a day or once a week. You know, I know we have a prayer meeting on Monday night. That's not the only time we pray, but, you know, that's when we all get together. Daniel prayed three times a day, every morning, noon, and night. He opened that window, and he prayed toward He didn't open the window so everybody down there could hear him. He did it so it would be toward Jerusalem, toward Jerusalem where the temple used to be. And that was where he always wanted to communicate because all the worship was supposed to be 
in, in Israel and going up to God and so forth. And that would be where the presence of the Lord would be. So Daniel was following through with all of this and he would pray and he'd call on God and he did it beforehand. Then it verse says, verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So they discovered him doing it. Well, praise God. Let them discover when we worship God and glorify his name. Isn't that right? Amen. But just keep on praising God. Keep on worshiping the Lord. Keep on glorifying his name. Amen. I've been to Russia, and they told us there how those people that were Pentecostal, you know, they had, a lot of was converted by Andrew Urshan back in World War II. And the Urshan left, Andrew Urshan was N.A. Urshan's father. Uh, you know, the young Urshan that was here, it was his, it was his great-grandfather. And Andrew Urshan had baptized many of those people in Russia. And then he had to leave that area and he got out and eventually came to America and so forth. But he had gone over there and converted a lot of those Persian people. They went through Russia and they converted a lot of those, Kurt, those Russian people. And they were Jesus' name, baptized, Holy Ghost-filled Pentecostals. And when the Iron Curtain came into effect, this is like in following World War II and everything, and the people in the Communist Party took over. The Communist Party was, anti, was atheistic and they said no religion, you know and everything, and so these people had to sort of go underground, but they kept on worshiping. They kept on praising the Lord. They, they would go this way and catch a bus down the street and get off and catch another bus over there, get off of that bus, catch another bus over here, and then they'd finally wind up somewhere on the other side of town at a place undisclosed, go down through a little door down the basement, and then they would have church service down there, praise the Lord. And they showed us some of these places where these people, they were called Urshanites, and they would worship God and glorify God all through the period of time what they call the, the, when the Iron Curtain was in effect and Russia dominated that whole area and so forth all through the late, uh, the late century of last century. Uh, this, these people still had church, they still worshiped, and they still went on glorifying God. Whatever happens, folks, always say, I'm going to worship God and I'm going to praise the Lord and I'm going to glorify God. As far as I'm concerned, we're in America. This is a freedom of worship. Praise God. When you come to the house of God, let's worship God and let's glorify him and let's praise him because nobody is going to come in here and say, no, 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 you can't worship God. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think the pastor's got a good story to tell you about what happened in Israel when they was worshiping in the upper room, our people over there. How many of you heard that story yet? Have you heard about it? They were worshiping in the upper room. And uh, he's got a good story to tell you. I won't, I won't try to tell it because I'll let him do that. But anyhow, just worship God. Amen. Daniel did. And, of course, everything went south on him. Oh, yeah. Sometimes that happens, you know. And they all they came and brought the king. The king was so disappointed because he loved Daniel. And he said, man, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I've messed up here. I let these guys, you know, hoodwink me into doing all this. Verse 16. This is uh, 616. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions, which is, was the punishment that he was to suffer. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. He told Daniel, Daniel, your God is what I've heard that he is. He'll deliver you, and you're a good man. He'll keep his hand on you and all those kind of things. Look at verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. He goes on to say, and his sleep went from him. This is verse 18 I'm looking at. And then finally in verse 19, I'm still here in chapter 6. 
Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with lamentation, with a, a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said o da to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, uh, servant of the living God in thy God whom thou servest continually. Notice that word continually. He knew that Daniel had this reputation. You, it's God that you serve continually, able to deliver thee from the lion. Is he able to deliver you? And then verse 21, then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Notice I'm still here, praise God. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths. Praise the Lord. And Daniel's still alive, and here's the, here is the uh, lions, praise the Lord, down inside that den. All of them put in there hungry, but none of them had an appetite for Daniel. <laughs> hey, I want to tell you something. God can do anything. God can do anything. I'm telling you, folks. You'd be, and you never know how he's going to do it. I don't know whether you I don't want to get too far into this, but uh, if you study the scriptures, you'll find out that before the flood, there were no meat-eating animals. How many of you know that? Before the flood? I can show you scripture on it. I could back it all up. It's all in the Bible. They were, there were no meat-eating animals before the flood. During the thousand years of peace, there will be no meat-eating animals. It says the lamb shall lay down with the lion, and the lion shall eat, will eat straw like an ox. You know, that nature will go back to that. I don't know what happened here. God just may have changed their nature just momentarily back to where it was even in the very beginning and what it will be in the thousand years of peace when he comes on the earth. Everything. All of this, you know, God can just do it in Canada. Or he might have just gave them lockjaw <laughs> and, and made their claws where they can't even open them up, you know, and they're, you know, or they got claws, you know. So whatever it was, or he just changed their, whatever it was, their nature. So Daniel just uh, pushed them together and said, lay here, I'm going to put my head on one of you. You know, lay my head on your belly there and and get a soft pillow, you know, and went to sleep and they all lay still. Or maybe they were scared to death of Daniel that this is like God to us, you know. I don't know. Who knows? And who cares? I'm just saying God has so many ways that he can help his people. And that's why, folks, don't be afraid to put your trust in the Lord. It can be an impossible situation. And this was an impossible situation, but not when God is involved. Praise God. And anything that is an affront to God, and this was an affront to him and everything, the Lord was going to look after his people in it. Praise the Lord. And he will take care of his own. Amen. So when all this happened, and so what happened was the king, he had Daniel taken out, and he had all those men that conspired against him. He had them and their wives and their children thrown into the, into the lion's den. And the lions this time were hungry. And they devoured and ate all those people that they threw in there. Look at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. Look at verse 26. I make a decree that in every uh, dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Do you see how God is exalted because one man dared to just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God, I'm going to live for God, I'm going to serve the Lord, I don't care what comes or goes. And folks, I'm telling you, if we will make up our minds to live for God and walk with God, and sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes the road is tough, and I know that. 
But I'm telling you, if we'll always do that, God will back us up. God will back us up. We may think, you know, I, I, I have told God, I know two or three ways you can solve this problem. And God never uses any of them. He has his own way of doing anything. Oh, and I think I'm so smart. I said, God, you can, man, you can do a double thing, do it this way and do that. And if you do that, this will happen, that will happen. And God does it like this over here, you know, he does. And his ways are so much better than our ways, amen. You don't even have to figure it out for God. God can, he can take care of it. He knows how to do it. Praise the Lord. And so uh, here is God now get receiving a glory and honor from a king who's writing a decree. He goes on to say, for he is the living God. I'm reading verse 26 now. For he is the living God uh, and, st and steadfast forever and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. Boy, you talk about exalting God. This Darius did that. He exalted God. And here's the media Persian Empire now, just taking over the Babylonian Empire. And right off the bat, in the first year, they are saying, you know what? The God of the Jews, whoever he is, Jehovah God, he is the powerful God. He is the God. He is the God that's the chief of all gods. Now, a lot of those people, they believed in multiple gods. They believed in lesser gods. But they recognized Daniel's God as the chief God. He's the big God. He's the daddy of them all. And uh, the Lord doesn't, never wanted Israel ever to worship like that. He's the only God. Amen. And that's why we oneness, praise the Lord. Amen. He's the only God. Hallelujah. God is the only God and Jesus is that God. Amen. He's not Michael the archangel or, or an inferior creature or, 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 or a God that's been made by another God. That's not what he is. I'm talking about that because there's some religious groups that believe that. I'm going to read here verse 27. He, he delivereth and rescueth. He's going on now talking. He's got this in this decree, talking about God. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lion? In other words, this God that has done all of this. And so this man, this king sent out a decree, went out all through all, through all the empire under Darius, and Darius exalted God because of Daniel and Daniel's willingness to take a stand and God stood behind Daniel. Now look at verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and it was only for one year and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian who came in behind Darius about a year later. He came in, Darius died, Cyrus came in as a king. He's the Persian side of this now and he becomes king. Now, I talked to you about Darius last week, and I talked to you about, to you about how this Darius was, uh, was prophesied in Isaiah. Remember that? I talked to you about how he was prophesied Isaiah, that he would come. Now, let me just refresh your memory if I can. Look back in Isaiah, uh, I think it's chapter, uh, let me find it here. Hang on a minute. I think it's, I don't have it here. I don't know where it is. Anyhow, it was prophesied about this Daniel. Okay, uh, yeah, I don't have Cyrus here. But anyhow, Cyrus was prophesied in Isaiah that he would come and, and the Lord told Isaiah, 200 years before Cyrus would live, he said, Cyrus, he said, I've called you by name. And I'm, when you come, I'm, gonna, I'm calling you by your name. That's what your name will be. And I'm going to use you to do a work for me for Israel. 
And so it happened. And whenever it, it did, it's all recorded in Zechariah, in, in Ezra. I want you to go to the book of Ezra with me for just a moment here. Go to the book of Ezra. And uh, I want to show you something here. This is what happened here whenever uh, Cyrus took the throne. Now look at Ezra chapter 1. Ezra 1.1. 1, 1. It says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Everybody see that? We're in, we're in the, the book of Ezra now. Ezra was a scribe who wrote all about these, this experience and these things that happened. So when Cyrus came to power and it was prophesied in Isaiah, and I mentioned that to you last week and gave you scripture on it. And right now, I don't have, uh, I don't have, don't know where it is. I lost track of it somewhere. But it's in Isaiah uh, it's Isaiah 44, 20, 28. Isaiah 44, 28. Can you turn over there a minute? I think that's where it is. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. This is Isaiah prophesying 200 years before. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Now look at 45, that's the last verse in 44. Look at 45, one. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leaven gates and the gates shall not be shut. And he goes on to talk about how he's gonna bless this, uh, this guy because he would do as he would tell him to do and so forth. And so this Cyrus was mentioned about the Lord. And sure enough, when Cyrus came to power in Ezra, in Ezra now, this was whenever 200 years later, Ezra 1-1, 200 years later after Isaiah, he says, now the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Jeremiah had spoken of this as well. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it into writing, saying, look what happens here now. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath decreed to me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel." And so Cyrus then sent these people, these Jews. He said, now you're welcome to go back. There were 50,000 of these Jews that had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar years before and had taken, been taken to Babylon and then they were conquered by the Median Persians. Now here's this Cyrus now saying, go back and build your temple. And God had put it on his heart. Folks, I'm telling you again, God controls the hearts of men and he can, he can change things, he can turn things around. We have to understand that God can do anything. There's nothing that God can't do. And sometimes we think that the power of things lies in a certain thing, you know, and God is letting us know he's in, in control of everything and he's over all things. Praise God. And so it goes on to say, here's another interesting verse, Cyrus 1.7. I mean, Ezra, I'm sorry. Ezra 1.7, we're on this. Look at this one. It says, also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, the ones that... Uh, Belshazzar desecrated or drank, tried to drink out of and God ended his life for that. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of, 
of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. And then he sent those vessels with these people. And uh, verse 11 even tells how many there were, thousands of them. And they sent them back with these people back to Jerusalem. So when they built the temple, they would put these vessels back in the temple and back in the house of God. Apparently Cyrus knew that some pretty tough things had happened uh, to this uh, wicked king Belshazzar whenever he had drank out of those vessels. So I'm showing you here that these people all went back. They had a leader called Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a direct descendant of David, and he was also a direct forefather of Mary and of Joseph both. Both Mary and Joseph were from the same lineage of David, only different lines of it, but Zerubbabel was, is in both their lineage. And so Zerubbabel led them. The high priest that was among those Jews that went back to Jerusalem was called Joshua, not the Joshua that made the sun stand still or the Joshua that took over from Moses, not him. This is the later time. And they were going back now, and the year was 536 B.C., 536. And so now they were going back. They were permitted to go back, and they started going back. Uh, they went back to Jerusalem. Look at chapter 3. I'm still in Ezra here, and I want to show you a few things. I want to talk to you a little bit about these people. Verse 3 and 1. Everybody with me there? And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one in Jerusalem. Now they were there. Then stood up Joshua, this was that, uh, the high priest now, the son of Josadok, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the, of the Lord of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon. And it was written in the law of Moses, the man of God, as it was written. Now, here's what they did. The first thing they did when they got there was to go to the temple mount where the spot was and build an altar. And then when they got there and they started, that, they built that altar, they started offering sacrifices. No temple had been built. No foundation had been laid. Nothing had happened. They just started worshiping God. And they, they began to glorify God and worship the Lord. And everything began to happen. Look down in verse 6 here. I'm just saving time jumping on down. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. They were so happy to be there that they could just begin to worship God with their sacrifices. Now look at verse 8. I'm still here in, verse, in chapter 3 of Ezra. Ezra 3, 8. I'm just going down a few verses here. 8 is probably the longest verse in the entire Bible. I don't know if it is. I haven't checked it out. But if it's not, it's one of the longest verses in the Bible. Look at the first part of it, verse 8. Now, in the second year of their coming, in the second year, now this is the first year they offered sacrifices the seventh month and so forth. Now they finally moved into the second year of their coming. And if you look down at the very last, I'm saving time here because that, that eighth verse is very long. And down at the very bottom, if you look at the bottom of the verse 8 there, it says, to set, if you look and find that spot, to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Now they came together in that second year. They said, let's do it. And verse 10, I'm still in chapter 3. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they laid that foundation, they laid it all out. Temple had been built. Now they've got the foundation, the second year. And verse 8, and they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy and doeth forever. 
and toward all Israel. Verse, and then uh, on down in that same 11th verse. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Folks, don't be afraid to shout and worship God. I'm serious. I'm serious. I know, I know, the, I know this sophisticated form of worship that Christianity has lapsed into. And because of that, they think we Pentecostals are radical or they think we're too loud. This is the way worship has always been. And these people were, they began to praise the Lord. They were so happy to sit and they worship God and they glorify God. They, you know, they, they just, they made a lot of noise. I mean, God's not, God's not nervous. God's not nervous. One preacher said to Brother Welch one time, he said, God's not deaf. You don't have to pray too, you don't have to pray loud. He said, God's not nervous either. <laughs> we can pray it loud, won't do shout, jump around. God's not nervous. It doesn't bother God. Everything. And these people, they shouted with a great shout. Look at that great. They said they shouted. They shouted. They shouted with a great shout. I mean, it was loud. Praise God. It shook things up. And when they praised God because of the foundation of the house, they were so happy. Now, here's an amazing thing that happened. I've got to read this to you, verse 10 and verses 12 and 13. You've got to look at this one. Because two things happened when they laid the foundation of the temple. There was the old timers and there was the younger generation. Some people that had been born in captivity and came back. Then the old timers that had seen the previous temple and now they were there. Look what verse 12 says. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men. Everybody follow me on ancient men? That means they were the old timers that had seen the first house. Everybody say with me, Solomon's temple. They had seen the first one. When the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people for the people shouted with a loud noise and the noise was heard above all. These old timers, praise the Lord, they were so happy they just wept. And they also saw that that new temple wasn't going to be as elaborate as that first temple. And they felt bad that it probably never would be as great as that first one. And so they were sad. But those younger people were so happy, praise the Lord, we're going to have a temple. And so there was this mixed emotion. There was weeping and crying, and there was shouting and praising the Lord. How many of you have been to services? We may have it today. We may have it today. Where worship is going on and some people are crying. And some people are jumping up and down, worshiping and yelling with all their voice. Have you, have you, you know, we've been there. You know why? Because joy comes in all kinds of forms. Sometimes it's just so powerful that we just can't help but just say, Lord. And you get to thinking about how good God is to you. And then you just, next thing you know, tears are in your eyes and tears coming down your cheeks. And you say, God, you're so good, so merciful, so kind and everything. And other times you just can't be still. You just got to praise God, worship God, throw your arms around Hallelujah. You know what? It's just God is good. Let's worship him right now. Would you take a moment? Let's thank him. How many of you, God's been good to you? God's been good to you. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you, God. How great you are to us. We magnify you, God, with all of our heart and soul. We praise you, Jesus.
for your blessings and your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for salvation and the gospel. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your people, Lord. Bless us with a mighty blessing from the Lord. Oh, Lord, we glorify you, God. We magnify you. We thank you, Jesus, how great you are. Lord, you're a great and wonderful God to us in all things, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And any time God blesses and moves, I'm not through yet, so you can sit down. I've got five more minutes. Give me five more minutes, I'll be through. Anytime God moves, the devil always gets stirred up. That's right. And that's what happens in chapter four. That first of all, he came around and said, oh, we want to be part of you. We want to be joined up with you. No, no, no. You want to bring in all your, your phony doctrines and all your heathenism and all your, your uh, false gods and everything. And no, no. We're, we're Jews. We worship the one true God and so forth. And then whenever those people that were in that land all around Jerusalem, they started hearing them worship and praising God and saw the joy in the heaven and everything. And they, they, they started writing letters to, the, to another king that had come on the throne. Now Cyrus had passed on all. Now another one came on and they tried to, they tried to get him to say, stop this, you know. And, they just, and then they had the whole chapter four is all about these people trying to hinder the building of the temple. Foundations laid but we're not going to let it get built. And you know what? They succeeded. They succeeded. And sometimes the devil does succeed in hindering us from our walk with God or our serving the Lord. But only for a season, folks. Don't ever give up. Amen. Only for a season. Amen. And this went on for 21 years. They kept those kings over in Syria saying, these people are trying to build walls to their city. They're trying to build a temple so that they can break away from the Persian Empire. And they're trying to do their own thing. And the new king would come on the throne and he'd listen to all this stuff. And he'd say, uh, uh, really? Well, I, we don't want that to happen. And then he'd send an order and a decree. Don't, build on the, don't work on the temple no more. And they shut them down. And so this thing went on and on through, I mean, about three or four different kings over that period of time. They didn't reign long, just for maybe five years, four years, and so forth. And then in verse 24, it says, this is the last verse in, in, verse, in chapter 4. It says, then cease the work of the Lord, of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of the Persia. This is a different Darius than the one that was the Mede, Darius the Mede. This was a different Persian until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so when this king came in power, he looked it all over again, and he said, wait a minute. He said, something's not right here. And so then he started. And then look at verse 5. Thank God for the preachers. Thank God for the preachers. Hallelujah. You know, the word prophet means preacher. I don't know whether you know that or not. Prophecy, we think of being always the future. But prophecy actually is twofold. It's both forthtelling and foretelling. Forth mean preaching. And that's what prophets were. They were preachers. But they would also foretell the future in their preaching. And so here it says, Then the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. These are the next two last prophets in the Old Testament. Then there's Malachi at the end. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. And uh, Zechariah was the last. Zechariah was the younger prophet. Haggai was the older prophet. And uh, these two men gave Israel direction right in through this period of time. 
Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judea and Jerusalem in the name of the Lord, God, the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, that's the, the, the governor, and the son of Shalatiel, and Joshua, the son of uh, Josadok, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God helping them, the prophets of God helping them. In other words, the preacher said, this is not the will of God for you to shut it down forever. Start building again. And whenever they started doing that and they started doing opposition, the king says, no, 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 let it go, let it go. And they started letting it alone. And then finally in the sixth chapter, and I'm saving time, my time's gone now. Finally, in the 14th verse of chapter six, and the elders of the Jews builded and they they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo, and they built it and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day in the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius, which was 515 BC, if that means anything to you. And everything. And anyhow, 21 years later, after they started it, they got it built. But God was on the throne and they built the temple, praise the Lord, and they fulfilled what Daniel told them that was going to happen. Amen. By that. Now, next week, I'm going to get started into those prophecy things about Daniel, where Daniel prophesied and the things that happened and the things that the Lord revealed to Daniel. God appeared to him four times. Four times. God appeared four times. God appeared to Daniel with visions besides the one that was in chapter 2 and gave Daniel understanding of the things that were going to happen to Israel. And Daniel actually lived to be about 89 years old or 90 years old. But he never left Babylon or never left the Persian Empire. He stayed there and helped guide that empire so that they were always friends to Israel over there trying to rebuild the temple and rebuild their nation rebuild their city of Jerusalem and all those kind of things. Let's stand together. Let's give God the praise and glory one more time. We're going to have a great service this morning. Got some great musicians coming. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. We magnify your name. We thank you, Lord, for all of our people that have come back from Israel. We thank you, Lord, and praise your name. We glorify you, Jesus. Bless this service and bless all of our people here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.